You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Just as we start, I want to ask you a question. What is the most impactful thing that we could do to demonstrate the reality of and the power of Jesus to this community? What's the most impactful thing that we could do to demonstrate the the reality of and the power of Jesus to this community? The answer is to reveal the reality of and the power of Jesus through the church, through, through us, through you and I. And there might be a place for all these other things that happen, these, these signs and wonders and things like that, but primarily the way that the power and the reality of Jesus is gonna be met in this community and known in this community is through the church, amen? Shortest message ever. Brilliant. Let's get the band back up. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I'm not quite done yet because the thing is, we cannot achieve that by doing church. We can only achieve that by being the church. And it's not through this or any service that that's going to happen. It's not through initiatives or or ministries. It's not through open days. And even our Christmas events, they're not primarily there. there And they're not primarily going to reveal the reality and power of Jesus. That comes through the church, through being the church, not doing church. It is about you and I reflecting Jesus in our lives and together. How? Like, what, what is expected of you and I? What does this look like? Well, last Sunday, I, I know not everyone could make it, but last Sunday evening, we had an amazing evening at the Hub. It was a testimony evening. If you went there, you'd have heard, among other testimonies, and it was just an amazing, blessed time, you'd have heard from Laura, and you'd have heard from John, and just the wonderful things that God has been doing and is doing in their lives. Now, now listen carefully, right? Everybody has a testimony, believer or not. Okay, everybody has a story. Everybody has a testimony. If you don't believe me, watch any reality TV show because at some point the violin will start or the the strings kind of music and and you'll hear the backstory of the person and the media know exactly how to grab you with the emotion of the moment. So whether it's X Factor or whether it's Freeze the Fear or whatever it is that you've been watching or Britain's Got Talent, at some point somebody will sit down and the music will come on and they'll tell you an honest and and a true and a a very stirring story. Everybody has a testimony. Everybody has one. And each testimony is unique. They're as individual as we ourselves are. Our testimony, our story, is as individual as the way we all look from each other. Now, you might have similarities, doppelgangers of testimony, if you like. So there might be similarities, but generally everyone is different. But let me tell you this. There's a gulf of difference between a Christian's testimony and a non-believer's testimony. Uh, I don't mean this in a disrespectful or derogatory way at all. A a non-believer's testimony is this. It's the story of my life. This is my story. 
Let me tell you my story. But the believer's testimony, the Christian testimony, is let me tell you God's story in my life. It flips it around. And I think sometimes, church, when we're giving our testimony, we get that back to front and we think we're telling our story with a little bit of how God's broken in. If you do that, I'm not telling you off, okay? But if you do that, flip it around. Flip it around because the more you talk about God, the more glorified he is and what he's done in your life is glorious, is it not? Otherwise, why even talk about it in the first place? So flip your testimony around. Make it more about God than about you. Yes, it's your story. Yes, that's where people connect to you. But it's actually, you're not telling them about you. You're telling them about Jesus Christ and what he can do in their life. That's a believer's testimony. But even these are really varied, aren't they? Like, I had a bit of a Damascus Road, like, kind of, and if you're not familiar with Christianese, then what I mean is, like, an impactful, boom, I met Jesus, and it was like, bang, everything changes in my life, and I can give you almost the hour that that happened, August the 27th, 1997, in the evening, probably around 10.30 at night, impactful. Other people have grown up in the church and they know that they believe in Jesus. They know that they're a disciple of Christ and yet they can't necessarily define a precise moment and that's okay as well. Some testimonies are like freedom from addiction and drugs and things like that and others are just like, yeah, basically, you know, my family was great, my life was great, but, you know, I met Jesus and that's okay. But there's one thing that every believer's testimony has in common and that's this that the very real presence of the very real person of Jesus has impacted their life in a way that has changed them to reflect him and is ongoing. Now there's one thing, one thing I want you to know today and I'm gonna come back to this again and again. If Jesus is given room in your life, then you will be changed and you will increasingly reflect Jesus it's it's a clause and an imperative right The, the clause is if Jesus if Jesus is given room in your life then your life will be transformed and you will reflect Jesus John the Baptist we love some of us quoting John the Baptist saying he must increase and I must decrease. Let let the presence of Jesus be known more than the presence of me. Like when you look at me, I want you to to be connected with the very real person of Jesus over connecting with Tom Workman, okay? And that was John's prayer. John was described as one of the greatest human beings ever to have lived, and yet he says, no, no, I wanna decrease and let Jesus increase let him ascend so if you are a believer then he should be seen more and more in our lives in our actions in our attitudes in our characteristics and in our relationships okay now in philippians 2 and verse 5 i know i'm jumping ahead in my verses here but paul says this in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus So welcome to our continuation of Philippians. And as we start merging, you know, kind of moving into chapter two, I want you to know that this is largely, this whole chapter is largely about reflecting Jesus. 
Like, let him ascend in our lives and let ourselves decrease. That people more and more, we want them to see Jesus in us and not so much us in us. And this should have, as Paul says here, a relational impact. A relational impact. In your relationships with one another, you know, have the mind of Christ Jesus. That relational impact should unify us. It should be a demonstration to the world of the reality and the power of Jesus Christ. But this can seem really hard, can't it? Like, if you were to look at the spiritual mirror right now, like who's peering back at you? And so how, how do you do that? How do I do that? And I'm going to be honest, I really struggle with this a lot. Okay? I want you to know that right now. I'm not saying, I'm not like Paul saying, guys, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because I don't think I'm there. <laughs> I'm saying bypass me and imitate Jesus, okay? When people look at my life and my behavior and my actions, my reactions, do they see Christ reflected in me? It's a big question. I ask myself it a lot. Or do they see my flaws? Do they see my faults? Do they see my ugliness and my brokenness? Do do they see my shame and my sin? One thing, if Jesus is Lord in my life, then my life must surely reflect him in increasing measure. It must. And the thing is, is there ever any evidence of this in my life? I'm not asking, this is a rhetorical question, like I don't want you to suddenly put your hands up and say, well, let's chat about this, Tom. Honestly, honestly, I don't find it too hard to act like Jesus or be like Jesus if you only know me for about two seconds. I don't find it hard if this is all you see. But if you get to know me, then you're going to see bits of me more. I mean, it's it's easy, isn't it? You come to church, it's, it's quite easy for one hour in the week to kind of bring it and be like, oh, yes. Isn't it great that we're in the house of the Lord and how good is God? And I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not honest in that, but isn't it easy to kind of put on something of a front when we gather for a short period of time? But church isn't supposed to be just a short gathering. It's supposed to be life together. It's supposed to be family together. And you know, don't you, that when you spend time with your family, boy, do they wind you up. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? If I look back over the last 25 years or so, any such times where I feel that Jesus has been well reflected in my life have been punctuated by times where I feel I've let him down. No, change that. Times where I have let him down. Where my behavior and my actions and my words lead away from Jesus rather than to Jesus. Point to something more gross than Jesus and away from the beauty of who he is and his character. And the thing was at Bible college, that was an amazing place because week one, I don't know if it was the same for you and anyone else who went to Bible college, the first week, everyone is super spiritual. Like, everyone wants to get up at five in the morning and go to chapel for an extra prayer meeting. And everyone gets up and is like, morning, praise God, we're here. But give it a week. And it's like, I'm not getting up. And it's like, honestly, there there, there were people in college that I offered to physically correct them for things that they had offended me with. 
you know, I'm at Bible college. Let me help you with that, brother. <laughs> Sadly, what I feel I most commonly reflect in my life is the mess, the foolishness, the panic, the haste, immaturity, anger, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness. How often I fear my rash words, my impulsive actions, or hesitancy to forgive and show grace and mercy actually hinder the gospel. If you ask people what they think of the church, and if they come at you with quite a heavy thing about what they don't like about the church, quite often it's true. If they say that, that actually in the church there's just as much backbiting, that, that there's just as much hypocrisy, isn't it? I mean, because I know in my life it's true often, so would it not be the case for most of us? And sometimes the church has had damage done to it because I and people like me have damaged its reputation by not letting Jesus increase and letting myself increase. And not only that, but I spend more time concerned with whether others reflect Jesus than myself. Anyone identify with that? I mean, like, you can know that this is true if you're thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this today. So that's my therapy. <laughs> that's me done. But you're not entirely off the hook. You don't get off the hook that easy. If Jesus has room in your life, then you will be being, remember that from chapter one, be being changed increasingly to reflect Jesus. Are our lives a reflection of Jesus that are daily increasing in clarity? That's a heavy question, isn't it? You know, in your relationships with one another, do, do we have the same mindset of Christ? Do we ever get on each other's nerves? Do we ever miscommunicate? Do we ever get annoyed with one another? So right here in Philippi, we find a church that Paul loves. I mean, he loves all the churches that he writes to, the Corinthian church, Colossian church. He, he loves them all, but he's, he makes special mention of the Philippians. Like, he loves these guys. He loves their faith. He loves their partnership. They, they bring him great joy, and, and yet he's writing them a letter to address this very issue. So this wonderful church, and I wish I was at that church in Philippi to see it, and yet this wonderful church, and Paul has to send a slightly corrective letter to them because there were some who were struggling to get along with each other. They were struggling to be of one mind, struggling to reflect Jesus, and they were grumbling and arguing with each other. And in chapter 2, Paul has some things to share about this, which we're going to spend a few weeks uh, exploring. That's not continuous from this point on. Like, we'll come back to this next week. Don't worry. You're going to get your lunch today. But today, I just want to start with two verses. Okay, looking at Paul's ifs and thens. Remember, if Jesus is given room in your life, then you will be changed. So let's look at what Paul's ifs and thens are. And if Jesus has room, then lives reflect Jesus. 
So what does that look like? What should it look like? So let's open. If you've got a Bible, then go there. Uh, Don't trust that the copy and paste that I use for this is 100% accurate, and sometimes American spellings get in there as well. Therefore, he starts. This is the beginning of chapter two, but I want you to remember something really important here. He's writing a letter. How many of you have ever written a letter to your wife, to your girlfriend when you were courting or whatever, and you said, chapter one. Hello, my dear. (laughs) Chapter two, I just want to correct you about a few things. I tried that with Jess, it didn't work. (laughs) So remember, there's there's no chapters in this letter. There's no verses, okay? Paul's writing a a continuous set of thoughts, uh, and the therefore actually links to what he's just been saying, and I don't want you to miss that, because if we take this out of context, we miss all kinds of things. This is part of the same letter, even if it's taken me like six months to get to this point. And, and the therefore is this, from chapter 1, verse 27, if you've got your Bible, just look at that verse. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy. And now, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. There's another link back to chapter one, because he talked about the fact that their, their partnership in the gospel brought him joy, and now he's saying that joy is there, but now make it complete. It was unfinished business, and he's returning to it here. You give me joy, top it up in this way. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The second thing I want you to notice, and you've probably picked this up already, is the word if. Because in one verse, he uses it four times. The the, the if is the clause. If this, the then is the imperative, then this. If this is true, then this should be the outworking of that, okay? If this is true, then this must happen. But actually, the if is more than a maybe. It's more than a possibility. It's more, it doesn't really allow room for you to say, well, I am a Christian, but I, I don't really feel I'm united with Christ in that way, or I don't really feel I have any comfort of his love. Actually, the if is better seen as a since, because if you have Jesus, then these ifs become fact. Does that make sense? I hope I haven't lost any of you there. So you could read this, since, if you're a believer, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love and common sharing in the spirit, and since you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. These things are yours in Christ. You hear that? These things, and we're going to look at what they are very briefly, but these things, if you are a believer, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have invited him to have lordship over your life, then 
These ifs are certainties for you. Whether you feel them in a measure, whether you've learned them yet, whether that, uh, you've seen the truth of that in your life, they are true. Okay? They are true. Paul assumed that he's talking to believers here. And so, therefore, people who already have these things. But the since you have these things raises the expectation now of the then. There's nowhere to hide. As a Christian, I can't say, well, I might not have received his tenderness and mercy in the same way, so I'm probably not going to have to give it in the same way. But you have received. You have received. And therefore, the then is not a suggestion. Since we are united with Christ, be like-minded. Since you have been comforted by his love, share the same comfort and have the same love for one another. Since we share in the spirit, be of one spirit. Since we have received tenderness and compassion, be of one mind. Let's have a brief look at these four ifs. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, do you find an encouragement to the fact that your life is knit together with Christ as you've laid your life before him, as you've surrendered? Christ literally comes and, and, and joins with you by his spirit. In fact, the word used there, there's only one word in Greek. There's not encouragement and united. He uses one word, and that one word is paraklesis. Now, that might be like, I'm not trying to show off. I I don't know much Greek, and I'm probably getting my pronunciation wrong. But what I do know is that comes from the same word as the word paraklete, which is the word that Jesus uses when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The word advocate, paraclete. And when he says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. He's talking about that advocate being that paraclete, that, that, that one who draws alongside And it can mean helper, comforter, counsellor, advocate. There's a sense why being united with Christ, he legally represents you. In the court of life where we're all guilty, you've got the best defence on your behalf. Because Jesus, the advocate, has given you the advocate of his spirit. And so if we've got any encouragement from that... I mean, come on, like there's a load of dirt in my life. And yet when I stand before the Father and when that judgment day comes and I am guilty and yet Jesus stands in my place and the Spirit testifies on my behalf and says, not guilty. An advocate is a legal representative who works for you on your behalf. Is that not encouraging? I mean, how many of you have been in a court case? Like, a good lawyer, worth their money, right? You've got the best, the very best advocate that you could possibly have in Jesus Christ. And the other thing about the word paraclete is there's a sense of being stuck fast. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the little, what are they called? The little barnacles that stick to the rock, the little weird triangular cone-shaped ones, what are they? 
Yeah, limpets. It's like, exactly, I knew that. It's like a limpet. They literally stick to you. Like, that's what the paraclete is kind of referring to, is this thing that just sticks to you. And that is how closely the Spirit of God sticks with you. And so when Jesus, in John's Gospel, John 17, says, Father, I ask that they may be one as you and I are one, this is what he's talking about. United fast. Stuck, like-minded. The second thing is, if any, comfort from his love. There's two things here. There's his love itself, and then there's the comfort that we get through his love. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 5, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. But get this, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God? The comfort that is talked about here is comfort that is given and there's an expectation that we therefore pay that comfort forward to each other. Have you ever been in a trial? Have you ever come through the other side of that? Have you ever known the comfort of God within that situation? If so, you are now an ambassador for God's comfort where you are in your life and for the people around you. And then he talks about his love and We're talking about that sacrificial love. A God who draws alongside you, who comforts you, and gives, pours out sacrificial love upon you. That that while we were still sinners, no, while we were enemies with God, Christ died for us. That sacrificial love. And we're supposed to pay that forward and do likewise. And then any common sharing in the spirit. We we see another link back to chapter one here because the word he uses here is koinonia. Now, I'm not expecting you to remember that from like a million years ago when we covered this in chapter one, but it's the word partnership. He talked about his joy being because of their partnership in the gospel, their togetherness in the gospel. And now he says, if any common sharing, any partnership with the Spirit, the same word, partner together with each other and with the Holy Spirit. And then, if any tenderness and compassion. And there's another link back here. Because in in chapter one, he talks about loving these people with the affection of Jesus. We don't see that word affection here. What we see is tenderness and compassion. The NIV changes it. So you've got two words in chapter one to chapter two. But the word that Paul used is splanchon, which sounds as bad as it is. Splanchon is basically the guts actually literally the bowels but I don't know if you remember this from before we talk about loving people from the heart but in ancient Israel you'd have talked about it like having that sense in your bowels in your guts I I love you from the depth of who I am and that is the tenderness that we have from Christ from the deepest place of affection all, all that he can muster in who he is 
That's the tenderness and the compassion that we receive from him. So here we go. If we are in Christ, we are to be glued fast to him and to one another with the same sacrificial love, bound in partnership to each other and to the one spirit, demonstrating the same tenderness and mercy that we ourselves have received with unity of mind. Right. How does this apply to you guys? How do we take that and do something with it? If Jesus is given room in your life, then you will be changed and you will increasingly reflect Jesus. So the first thing I would say is how much room are you giving Jesus in your life? I mean, that's the obvious, isn't it? How much room? There's a direct correlation between the room that you give Jesus to be Lord in your life and the speed at which you're changed and transformed. I mean, it sounds simple, right? Doesn't it? (laughs) Is it achievable? Absolutely it is, but it's really hard. So our responsibility, and I want you to notice something very, very clear here. This verse is not passive. It's not passive transformation. It's not just like, oh, it's okay, God's doing this in me. Like, there is an action required of you, and Paul points out, if this is true, then do this. There's an instruction there. You don't need an instruction if it's just going to happen by osmosis. So there is something that we as believers need to do and commit to do and remind ourselves to do, and pick ourselves up from when we don't do, there's something instructive in this text that has to lay at each of our feet and into our heads and hearts. Paul urges, make my joy complete by doing something. But wait a moment. Am I not saved by grace? Not by works? Is it not the Spirit who works in me? Is it not the fruit of the Spirit, his fruit growing in me? Is is that not true? Like, why am I then turning around and saying, you need to do something if that's the case? Am I not saved by grace? Yes, you are, not by works. Is it not the Spirit's work in you? Yes, it is, absolutely. But we're not altogether off the hook. That there is responsibility upon you, okay? It's not actually a heavy one when we look at it because the bulk of the work is Jesus Christ. It's not all up to you, but some of it is, and that's an important sum. Later in the chapter, Paul talks about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, there's a serious gravitas to that, isn't there? I don't want that to unsettle you this morning. You're not on ground where you're suddenly going to find that your salvation's swept away from you and you've screwed up too much. That's that's not how this works. But Paul says, like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But the second part of that verse says, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
There's something of you, and there's a lot of God. Think about the prodigal son. He came running up, or walking up the road with his you know, tail between his legs, his head down, but the father came out to meet him. And when we turn and we move towards God, you will find every time that you do that, that he comes and meets you on the road and embraces you exactly where you are. Amen. You know, it's not either God or me at work. It's both and in partnership, koinonia. But the miraculous, the most miraculous, the most powerful part of the transaction is all God's. It's all God's. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't do this stuff unless you've received it. You can't pour out what you haven't received in. And so if you're not a believer, I just want to speak to you for a second because you can't share the love of Christ because you've not received it into yourself. You, you can't share his, te- his compassion and his mercy because you've not received it into yourself. But let me tell you this, you can receive it today for free and then have experience of and access to all of those things that become a believers in Christ. There's no difference between you and I, except for the fact that I have bowed down before Jesus and said, please help me be the Lord of my life. And you can do that today and receive the same. Listen, I, the phrase, I might be a mess, but I'm God's mess. You heard that? It doesn't quite fly. <laughs> Sorry if you use it. I use it as well. Because I am a mess, and I do belong to God. So yes, it's true. I'm a mess, but I'm God's mess. But it doesn't quite fly if what we mean is it's solely his responsibility to sort me out. It's no use me even trying. That doesn't fly. Uh, But equally, God helps those who help themselves. You heard that one? Well, that doesn't quite fly either. And I'm sorry if you've got these on magnets or on mugs or something like that at home. But it isn't quite true either if what we mean is that you or I have to pull ourselves together in order to get the approval of God, in order to make amends, in order to fix ourselves. Like that sense that if I do something to make God happy, then he's going to come and, uh, and, and help me out. It's not true. But there is a partnership between us and God in the way that we are transformed. And your role, give him room. Give him room. God doesn't reprogram broken robots. He transforms broken humans in partnership. And our will needs to be brought into alignment with his. Let God move. Let him have room. Now, I just want to cover a couple of questions that people might be asking in this. And the first one is this. Why is this transformation so painfully slow. Maybe some of you feel like that for yourselves. It's easier if you're thinking that for somebody else. (laughs) I want you to bear something in mind. Most of what you see in yourself is a memory and not a live picture. I bet right now you can close your eyes, you know what you look like today, right? Yeah, that's a memory. It's not a live picture. I've got the live picture. I I can see what you look like right now. When you close your eyes, you know exactly how you look right now, but it's a memory. And, And so often, we don't see transformation in ourselves because what we've got is a memory and not a live picture. 
And it's other people who can see the truth of how we're behaving and who we are and what our Christ-likeness is. And so don't be too hard on yourself. If you feel that you're constantly screwing up and not making progress, and yet you desperately want to, like, don't be ashamed. You're remembering yourself, but God's been doing work in you since the point you last looked in the mirror. And also, when you look at other people, just bear in mind that God's working in them as well. And it's a work in in progress. I want to encourage you. If you're a believer in Christ, then this transformation is occurring inside of you. But I want to caution you that you can also resist and hold back. Often my motivation my willingness or my stubbornness, my sinfulness, my reluctance to surrender dictate the pace of transformation. Listen, nothing will hide Jesus in your life faster than secret sin. I know this is heavy and I don't want to land here, so I'm just going to take a couple more minutes. Things like pride, we'll cover that next week. Things like gossip, things like bitterness, callousness, uh, critical spirit, unforgiveness, greed, lust. Like only you and God may know that this exists in your life. Only you and God might see it, but I guarantee you it will have an impact on your life and it will have an impact on the church and therefore on the community as well. Others might look at themselves then and ask, why does it feel I'm getting worse rather than getting better? Have you ever chastised yourself in that place? Like, have you ever looked at yourself and thought, I'm such a screw-up, I'm such a failure, right? I was a better Christian 20 years ago, and I feel like I'm just messing everything up right now. Well, let me tell you this. The closer you get to Jesus, the the, the more you appreciate how beautiful and perfect he is, the more you realise how broken and far from that you are. So the closer you get to God, the more you realise how far short you come, and yet... The wonderful news is Jesus has bridged that gap and he is transforming you as long as you give him room. So I'm going to wrap up with this. What can you do with this this week in partnership with God? We're supposed to apply the word and not just listen to it, okay? In your relationships, in your words, in your actions, in your decisions, do you reflect Jesus? Like if I hold up a spiritual mirror this morning, like just consider that. But don't go away feeling empty and flat because you don't measure up. There's not a point in your life you've ever measured up. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need him. And the truth is, when Jesus comes into your life, he takes off what is dirty and he clothes you with his righteousness. That's what Jesus does. And it doesn't matter if you've just started believing in him today or you've believed in him for 35 years. That robe of righteousness is what God the Father sees when he looks at you. So even as you look in the mirror and go, there's some things I need to give to Jesus. There's some things I need to surrender. There's some things I need to allow him to adjust in me. Just know this. The Father looks at you. He says, child of God. 
He says, you belong. He says, you are dearly loved. There, there is nothing that you can do to earn more of his love or approval. It's there. It's assured. It's guaranteed in Christ. But we are to yield so that we are changed. So what can you do? If you've been comforted, is there someone that needs to receive that same kind of comfort? Can you think about that? Can you draw alongside somebody who would need that? Is there someone you can share Christ's love with? What kind of love? Sacrificial love. It means putting each other first. And we'll look at that next week. Have you received his love? Prove it by being loving with the same love. Maybe they are undeserving. Were you any less deserving? Any more deserving even? If you have partnership with his spirit, prove it by partnering with him in his uh, gospel and in his people. You might find them awkward. (laughs) You might find other Christians to be difficult or annoying or frustrating. Do you think the spirit found you easy? (laughs) And I say that, really looking at myself there, like I'm amazed that God can love me. What right do I have to hold back love from anyone else? Is there anyone you're in disagreement with? I plead with you, as Paul says, Euodia and Synthache, I plead with you to agree together with one mind. Is there any bitterness or resentment lingering in the corners of your life somewhere. Get it out. Get it before Jesus. You can't fix it, you can't change it, but you can give it to him, and he can. Lay it down to surrender it to him. And if you've been forgiven, prove it by being forgiving. Now, that might sound heavy, and I know some of you have been offended, and I'm not talking about, I'm so offended. I'm not talking, that was the poshest thing I've ever said in my life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where somebody has committed an offense against you that has cut you brutally. Can you forgive? The truth is no, you can't unless you have received his forgiveness. But remember how vast that forgiveness is because it encompasses you and me and all the ways that we've offended God. Can we, can we stand? I just want you to imagine if we could take this all before God in our own lives and bring it together as a church and allow him room to be transformative in our lives. What would it mean for this church? What would it mean for your relationships? What would it mean for this town if we as a church more and more reflected the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our midst. And it's not going to start with massive uh, kind of signs and wonders type miracles. The miracle is in this room as God can take what's broken in here and fix it. That's the miracle. That's the thing. That's the sign. That's the wonder that we want to pursue as a church. Like we are Pentecostal. We want to lift our hands. We want to let the spirit have his way. We want to see crazy things that God's doing. But the most crazy thing that God has ever done is taken my mess and redeemed it. That's the crazy thing. Can we give him our mess in surrender this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you. That-